Welcome to the Economic Rockstar Podcast with your host, Frank Conway. Connecting brilliant minds in economics and finance. In this week's episode of the Economic Rockstar Podcast, I speak with Kirk Duplessis, founder and trader of Option Alpha. We talk about trading stock options, explaining what options are, as well as the type of options such as calls and puts, and the type of option strategies that you can use to trade the markets. Check out all the links and resources on the show notes page at economicrockstar.com forward slash Kirk. Never miss an episode of the Economic Rockstar podcast. Visit economicrockstar.com, submit your name and email, and you will get each episode straight to your inbox. That expiration date or that finite life cycle creates a wasting asset, which means that it decays in value every single day. And this is across the board. So these are all option contracts that are going to decay in value until they reach expiration. Less than 5% of technical indicators actually beat the benchmark index, which means 95% of the stuff that's out there is practically garbage, in my opinion, because we've done the data now and we have you know the results to, to prove it. Hi, Frank Conway here, and you're listening to the Economic Rockstar Podcast. I am so honored to have Kirk DePlessis join me today. Hi, Kirk. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Frank? Thanks for having me on. You're more than welcome. Kirk is a full-time options trader, real estate investor, stay-at-home dad, and personal trading coach. His background and experience includes time on Wall Street as an investment banker, a senior stock analyst, and a senior loan officer. Kirk is the founder and fund manager at Option Alpha, an online education and training platform for options traders with students from 42 different countries around the world. You can grab his completely free 12-part video training course, which will help you discover how to trade options for consistent monthly income over at optionalpha.com. Kirk was recently featured in Barron's Magazine as a contributor to their annual Brokers Review. His podcast, the Option Alpha Podcast, features great tips, advice, and explanations on all things options trading. Kirk, I'm so stoked to have you on the show to talk finally about options. Um, I've kind of danced around, not necessarily danced around the whole topic, but it's something that I love to, and I obviously don't have as deep a knowledge as yourself, Kirk, but I, I love talking about and calculating and identifying options, trading positions, and so on. So I'm yep. um, really honored to have you on the podcast. But first, what I'd love to do, Kirk, is to go back to perhaps eight years ago, because I also heard you on another podcast, the Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn and Entrepreneur on Fire. And I put the, those links on the show notes, but this was not an overnight success for you, was it? No, of course not. I don't think I don't think any business I don't think any real business is an overnight success. That's luck. That's like just dumb luck. I totally agree. And you you got a bachelor's of science in finance from the University of Virginia, and you took your knowledge there and worked with your business option alpha. Well, it, you know what it really started was so so I graduated from UVA, and everyone at the time thought that going into investment banking was the greatest thing on earth, right? And so I get in there and I'm like, well, hey, everyone in my you know class is doing it. Sure, why not? Like, it sounds great. Let's go work on Wall Street. And so I ended up working for Deutsche Bank for a little bit. And um, it was a great experience and I learned a lot and it was, it was definitely fun living in New York and all that. But at the end of the day, it just didn't suit like the type of person that I was and where I wanted to be. 
and the hours were ridiculous. And my wife eventually, well, now my wife, but my girlfriend at the time basically said to me, she said, you know, look, it's either New York or me. And so, um, you know, we had to make a switch and, and that's what we ended up doing. But, I, you know, the time that I spent there obviously laid the foundation for probably where I'm at now. And then it's just been a long journey to get, you know, to where we are here. And it's obviously not done, but yeah, it's not an overnight success. You got to work at it. And for pe- those people who do not know what options are, could you give us your best explanation uh, yep. uh, to what they are? Yeah. So, so options trading is, is the next level up in my opinion of just being actively investing in the stock market. So everyone is very familiar with trading stocks and buying shares in Apple computers or whether, you know, I don't even think it's called Apple computers obviously anymore, but you know, buying shares in Apple or Microsoft or whatever the case is. But what people don't know is that there's this whole other world or this whole other market that surrounds all of these different companies. And it's called the options market or what's commonly referred to as the derivatives market. And all of these securities derive their value or their value is basically given by the underlying shares or most of their value is given by the underlying shares. And the simplest explanation I can, I can give you is that options contracts basically act like insurance in a way. And so like that's a really good example is like if you have a house or own a house, buy a house, you will always get fire insurance in case the house burns down. And so with fire insurance, it's not that you're getting the policy um, and you want to profit from that policy that you're taking out of that fire insurance policy, but it's a protection or a hedge against – the house burning down. So it derives its value from the value of the house. If you've got an expensive house, the insurance to protect that house is going to be expensive. If you own a cheap house, then the insurance to protect that house is going to be cheap. And so that insurance contract derives its value from the house and pays out only if the house burns down. And so that's kind of one example that we can use. And there's a lot of other different ones out there that we can you know, probably reel through. But that's kind of the main thing that options are. They just this instrument that you can derive value from the underlying security and do so in a way that uses a little bit of leverage. And with this leverage, this can be a dangerous thing. And so I suppose options traders have to be very well aware of risk management techniques and not to over leverage their positions because with these contracts that they're trading in, if they're not a skilled or understand the, the derivative as well, they could really get burned. Well, I think, you know, like I'll even say, and this is like a big bone of contention with me with, with a lot of guys that are out there, because I think when you hear options trading and everyone talks about, oh, you know, options trading is so risky, it's not risky at all. It's the investor who's risky. So it literally takes no real skill to do this at all. And I say this and we can like dive deeper into it because it's just a math-based way to invest, but like it doesn't take skill to invest in, to do options trading, just like it doesn't take skill to buy the S&P 500 market index and, you know, potentially have the best portfolio out there. It doesn't take any skill to do that. And yes, I think it's universal across the board that you should have proper risk management in place at all times. I think in the options market, maybe you're even a little bit more cautious, meaning your position sizes are just a little bit smaller than average until you get the hang of things. But I don't think that it's actually risky. I Honestly, I believe investing in stocks is way, way, way riskier than doing options. And it's funny because I actually had a conversation with a guy just the other day and he said, well, I don't know how to do, you know, options trading. Like it seems complicated. And it's, you know, like you can just like, I could see his like demeanor shift and his shoulders, you know, sunk down. And he's like, it's complicated. It's just so tough to do. And I'm thinking to myself, like, 
you know, Snapchat's tough. Like, you know, <laughs> t- Twitter is tough. Like Facebook was tough when it first came out. I mean, for God's sakes, driving a car is tough and difficult and complicated, but we all learned how to do it. So everyone needs to get over this hurdle of just thinking that it's overly complicated for them to do because it's not. It's very actually, it's a lot, it's really easy to understand. And if you just put a little bit of effort into it, you can literally do stuff that enhances your portfolio returns with an hour a month. I'm like, that's all I'm asking for people to do is invest time to learn how to do it one hour per month and you do better than the market. Proven, back-tested, we have the results posted on our website. And I'd love to explore those results soon, Kirk, but just to go a little bit deeper on options, there are two types of options, calls and puts. And do you usually trade those any particular time of the calendar year or are you looking for events or or is it more company specific news announcements that you might want to trade some of these how is the sentiment built into all of this right so there's basically so let's like break it down here so there's two basic types of options there's call options and put options and call options have to deal with the right to buy or sell securities at given strike prices right Uh, or buy or sell the underlying stock and same thing with put options put options deal with the same underlying stock and the right to buy or sell that stock. And the only difference is that in the way that you trade them, because what's complicated about it is that you can sell an option and you can sell a put option or you could buy a call option and you could buy a put option. So there's really like four ways that you can trade options or like the four building blocks of options trading. And depending on how you do that determines what relationship or what uh, requirement that you have to buy or sell the underlying stock. So at the end of the day, though, you can create or build a strategy that profits off of any assumption that you have about the market. And so like, I'll give you a couple examples and maybe this will help people who are listening. But like, let's say you're looking at Apple stock right now and Apple has earnings that are coming up tomorrow. And you know that Apple usually makes a big move around earnings. But maybe you don't care which way Apple moves. So you just want to profit from just the big move that Apple is going to have. And you don't care if the big move is up or you don't care if the big move is down. Well, you can build an option strategy to profit from that situation. So you can profit from just a big move in either direction regardless of if it's up or down. And that's a non-directional way to trade. Now compare this to just trading the stock, if you just traded the stock of Apple, you'd have to pick and say, I think it's going to go up or I think it's going to go down. And 50% of the time you're going to be right and 50% of the time you're going to be wrong. So another example of this is let's say, you know, you're looking at Apple or whatever stock you're looking at, let's say Microsoft. And you say, you know, I think Microsoft is going to trade between, you know, $10 and $30, whatever. And so now you can build a strategy that profits from Microsoft just staying range bound. I mean, try to like, I try to have people Think about this. Like, Try to do this with the stock market. Can you profit from a stock just staying in a $20 range? There's no way. Like, You can't build a strategy to do that. But in the options market, you can. You can create a strategy that basically uses these puts and calls in different combinations that profit from either range-bound scenarios, just up scenarios, just down, a move in either direction. There's so many different, I mean, no pun intended, but so many different options of what you can do that it really is just up to your kind of imagination a little bit to how you want to create these strategies. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kirk. Was the first one you described there known as a straddle and then perhaps a, a bull call or a bear call spread? Correct. Yep, you okay. could do that. The, yeah, the straddle would be it would be a long straddle where you're trading the market in either direction. It's amazing how two types of calls or two types of options, calls and puts, in which you can buy and sell, create so endless combinations and all types of different strategies 
And that's all based or helped aided by the number of strike prices that are available as well and the time to expiration. Yeah. So there's, yeah. So there's a couple of things that go into option pricing. That's a little bit different, right? And when you think about, and let's go back to our insurance contract example with real estate, when you take out an insurance contract on your house, let's say you have a house that's worth $100,000. This is probably the, the best way to explain it. So you have a house that's worth $100,000, but you take out an insurance contract for $90,000 in case the house burns down. So you bought the house for $100,000. If the house burns down, the insurance company pays you $90,000. So that $90,000, that becomes basically like your put option strike price. So you're going to be covered for anything below a value of $90,000. So if it burns down, but it's, let's say it's worth $50,000 because there's still some, you know, foundation there, a couple rooms didn't get burned, then the insurance contract still pays out $40,000, the difference between 90 and 50. And you accepted $10,000 of risk. But that insurance company now is only going to protect you for a certain amount of time. And usually in insurance contracts, it's a year. So you buy a policy for a year and then every year you have to renew that policy. And that same kind of methodology holds true in options trading, except you can trade contracts that are a week out, two weeks out, a month, a year, six months, quarterly. There's a lot of different variations in what you can do. So you can you know, buy protection for just this week. So like the Brexit vote that happened, a lot of people went out, they bought a lot of put option protection because they didn't know what's going to, what was going to happen with the Brexit vote. And they only had to buy for that short window of time, just the week that that Brexit vote was going to be announced. They didn't have to buy like, let's say a year's worth of insurance for just a one-time binary event. So I think, you know, having that capability to trade these different months and to, you know, use these different strike prices, like you said, it really just opens up the floodgates of what you can possibly do. Some of your clients, Kirk, would they be looking to protect the portfolio or and hedge your positions, or would it be mainly to trade options and to take advantage of the leverage? I think it's I think it's a couple things. I think mainly people, you know, people who get started in this get started because they're trying to protect their portfolio or generate a little bit of income with their retirement account. That's really where people get started in options trading. But then when you start digging down deeper, you realize how powerful it is and how liquid the market is. And, you know, the, the market just keeps growing every single year for options trading. And so what people then generally gravitate towards more is more of the income producing side of things. And so, like I said, I think owning stocks are extremely risky. Like, and, and I'll, I'll probably get a lot of people who comment on that and I welcome the comments, but nobody can tell me that owning stocks is not extremely risky when you think about the risk to reward ratio just in the last 10 years. I mean, the market has been up maybe 5% on average in the last 10 years, but has had a major crash. I mean, so, of you know, almost 30%. So like, that's an extreme risk reward ratio. Why would you invest all of your money for maybe a 5% upside with 30% downside risk is, is beyond me. Um, so when you start getting deeper into it and start understanding the, the, you know, the real mechanics of options trading and how it can, you know, reduce your risk by using these, I think people gravitate more towards trading as a source of income or as a supplemental source of income. When I teach options to my students and I theoretically and look at real life examples as well of what someone would do if they were to actually buy the stock compared to somebody who would buy a call or a put option and they when they look back at it, when they when we complete the example, they're actually shocked to think, sure, the question or what they'd state really is, why do people not just trade options instead of buying stocks? Because of the potential 
percentage return they'll gain because you have to put up so much money in order to get a 10% return on owning stocks, whereas you only have to put a fraction of that to perhaps get 100, 150% on your, your risk. But is there a risk regarding options in terms of them being called a wasting asset? Of course. Yeah. So I think the biggest, so there's two things you said there. One, obviously options give you leverage. So one option contract controls, in most instances, controls a hundred shares of stock. So instead of buying a hundred shares of stock, you buy one option contract. You basically have control over a hundred shares of stock, you know, for a fraction of the cost. Now, of course, that comes at a premium, right? You have to buy to get that type of access. And the problem with options contracts and that most people don't understand is two things really. One is that they're a wasting asset, which means that they have a finite expiration or finite life. Just like we were talking about the insurance contract on a house, that contract is good for a year. So if you pay $1,000 for your insurance contract, but your house never burns down, you can't go back to the insurance company and say, hey, like that was a good bet. Like I just wanted to, you know, like I thought the house was going to burn down and it didn't. So can I have my money back? They're going to be like, no, like you paid it and you know it's now our money and you got to re up again the next year and so that expiration date or that finite life cycle creates a wasting asset which means that it decays in value every single day and this is across the board so these are all option contracts that are going to decay in value until they reach expiration and so that's one thing that people don't understand is that it's basically like your stock has to move or not pretty quickly and it's got to be in your time frame because if it doesn't move in your time frame or doesn't do what you want in your time frame, then it could turn out to be a losing trade. The other thing that people do not understand, and I, I don't get this one because I proved the math a million times on the website. People can check it out. We, we do it all the time at Option Alpha. Um, but the reality is, is that option pricing across the board is always, always overstated. And what I mean by that is that the market for options they always price in this expected move in the stock. So if we're looking at, let's say, Microsoft stock, and actually I can just like look at Microsoft stock right now and just give you a real number. If you were looking at Microsoft stock right now, it has an expected move of about 23% for the next year. So right now, the options market is expecting Microsoft to move about 23% up or down over the next year. And what we find time and time again is that even though the market expects Microsoft to move 23%, if we were to actually set a date one year from today and then go back retroactively and look and say, where did Microsoft actually move or how far did it actually move? More often than not, it moves less than the market expected, meaning Microsoft a year from now might have only moved 18% up or down. So the market was expecting Microsoft to move 23%. But it actually only ended up moving 18%. And what this does is this creates an imbalance in pricing so that people who are option sellers, meaning insurance companies or option sellers, I just call them insurance, you can think of yourself as an insurance company, have an edge over option buyers on a long-term basis. And so if you think about it like an insurance company, they know that if they charge you $1,000 to protect your house, but they're also insuring thousands of other houses across the country or state or whatever, that they know exactly how many of those houses are going to burn down on average a year. And they're going to charge more money than they have to pay out. It's just a simple business. It's as simple as that. And so the options market works works, works exactly the same. So if you just understand those two key points as you get started, one, it's a wasting asset, two, that option sellers always have an edge long-term, then you're well ahead of the game. And could you... 
create an arbitrage trade on that or is this something you'd typically be interested in or just let them you do it every day you can do it yeah. every day and that's see that's like the thing that i don't that people have to understand it's like there's no skill involved in doing this because the math is the math and so if you know that long term that option pricing is always relatively high compared to the expected move or the actual move of the stock then you know that option selling is obviously the best way to generate income for your portfolio. I mean, like to give you an example of this, we've already started backtesting strategies. I mean, every iteration, every type of strategy you can imagine. And we just got done doing a set of 4,400 different ways you can trade strangles, which is just one strategy. And in every single scenario where you were an option seller, you made money. If you were an option buyer, you generally lost money. And it's just, that's, and that's testing every iteration to like really prove the point that, Option selling is a much better strategy for generating income than option buying. And basically, it's play, be the insurance company, right? That's what yeah. you want to do. You want to be the person who issues insurance and you have that theoretical edge. And so if you can continuously do that time and time and time again, then you're going to win out. And that's amazing because if, you, if we chart this as an option seller, they have limited upside gains based on the option premium that you just sold. Right. And what people don't understand about that, here's the simple, the simplest thing you have to understand about the markets, in my opinion, is that when you cap your upside gain, when you limit how much money you can make by yourself, you do that in your trade by selling an option, you dramatically increase your chance of success. That's all there is. I mean, think about a lottery ticket. Your lottery ticket has minimal, minimal investment, massive upside potential, low probability of actually winning, right? But if you are doing something like an insurance contract, right, or selling an option, you cap your, your potential profit. When you do that, you automatically get rewarded by having an increased probability of success. And how would that be? Because you, you have unlimited downside risk as well. Is this because you get the money up front? But, well, yeah, you yeah. get the money up front, but we also know that the market is never going to move at those huge extremes on a continuous basis. Right. So like the example that I will, that I'll use, cause I'll keep going back to this, this insurance on a house. If this works, if this is making sense, hopefully to people that are out there. But if you're an insurance company, your goal in life is not to insure one house because that's too much risk for one individual company, right? Like if think about Geico, if they just insured one house or one car of all the cars in the country, then the risk that that one car right? Crashes or the house burns down and they have to pay out a big sum of money is too great. So what do they do? They insure everybody, as many people as possible, right? So it's just a numbers game because the more people that you insure, meaning in the options market, the more contracts you can sell, the more often you can sell them, the further you spread your risk so that no one individual trade, no one individual house burning down is going to really affect you. And that's the way you get it. In fact, I don't know if people know this, but Warren Buffett, traded, I think like in the last couple of years, he's traded $5 billion worth of options contracts. That's all in his 10Ks. Like people don't, nobody talks about that, right? It's in black and white. He's traded $5 billion worth of option contracts and he sold all of them. He didn't buy options, he sold them. So like if Warren Buffett is selling $5 billion worth of options contracts, I think people should pay attention to that, right? Like he's obviously doing something right. He knows that too, he just can't do more than that because the options market, if he did too much trading, you know, people would see all of those trades coming into the market. And it's funny you mentioned Warren Buffett because when you were giving me that example of Geico Insurance. Why do you think he owns it? Car, well, he owns yeah, it. I'm telling, he, 
Why do you think he owns it? His favorite investment is insurance companies because of that reason. That's why he loves to trade options. But nobody asks him about his options trading. It is all there in black and white in his 10Ks every single quarter. Tells you exactly which options contracts he's selling. And it's crazy that people don't ask him about that in the media. And it's when Hurricane Sandy hit insurance companies were pretty much wiped out. And that's when he stepped in, when nobody wanted insurance companies. He stepped in after that event and bought up insurance companies and sold insurance. So this is effectively him realizing that he's going to be a winner in the long term. That's exactly right. And that's why he wants to have more insurance companies. That's why Geico wants to insure a lot of properties because they know it's just a pure numbers game. So if they know that the expected, you know, likelihood of another Hurricane Sandy hitting that area is, you know, ridiculously small or once in the next hundred years and it just happened, then he knows he's got a pretty good investment. And it wasn't that, so like a lot of people think, it wasn't that he was like witty and going in there. He just realized that that once in a 100 year event just happened. So the likelihood it's going to happen next year or the year after or anytime in the next, like say 50 years is pretty small. Now he can go in there and buy up these companies really cheap and start selling insurance. And that's exactly what he does. So when you're, say someone trading options like yourself, there may be those known unknowns that could strike at any time. But what about the unknown unknowns that, you know, you're, you just have to try and plan for and it may you never can't. happen. You, you, you can't plan for them. That's the problem. The problem you is you can't, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just, I was going to say, how do you trade that? So obviously you couldn't, um, but how do you protect yourself in the event of an unknown unknown hitting you? Yeah, you realize that at any point a drunk driver could hit you. And that that's really how you should trade because when you get into your car, there's you can do everything right when you get in your car. You buckle your seatbelt, you watch, you know, take two hands on the wheel, you're driving down the road, you stay in your lane, but you can't control the drunk driver who comes out of nowhere and hits you. And so those black swan events, and this is what everyone is so afraid of. Everyone always talks about like how do you avoid a black swan event? You can't. They're unavoidable. The only way to do to protect yourself in my opinion, is to do two things. One, you keep each position size that you get into small. So if I'm trading Apple and Google and Amazon and you know emerging markets, each of those respective positions are going to be really, really small. Because if one thing blows up because I can't control it and I know something's going to blow up eventually, I don't want my business shut down by one thing happening really bad. And so the problem is when people invest in like the stock market, everyone is tied to the stock market. So it doesn't matter if you have a diversified portfolio or not. The whole thing could go down. And so when you've got all of your eggs basically in one basket, whether you're separated out across industry or sector or not, you're basically following the S&P. If that market goes down, then you're out of luck. Okay. So I diversify out. And then number two is with options, which you can't get with, with stock is you keep your portfolio as neutral as possible. And what I mean by that is don't just have one-sided trades. So if you're trading stock, you basically only have one decision and that's buy stock. You can short stock and people know that you can do that, but most people don't do that. They just buy stock. In the options market, I can uh, you know, trade the market lower. I can trade it bearish. I can trade the market bullish and I can have a combination of positions on both sides. And so what I like to do is have a good combination on both sides so that if the market goes up, I'll make money on some and maybe I'll lose a little bit on the others and take money off the table. And it's just this ebb and flow that we know is going to happen. So I think that's the way you quote unquote avoid it is just realize it's unavoidable and you have to keep your position size small. And the thing is, when everything is going good and very positive for you and markets are building up momentum, that's where a 
a poor, a, a very bad trader would get the mistaken belief that this is going to continue if they extrapolate that particular data. Right. And to be honest, I was in the unfortunate position to be in that situation back in 2008. I had all long positions in wheat and gold and oil and S&P and just overnight, you know, and then you go short and then Ben Bernanke would uh, <laughs> introduce the Bernanke push right. and lower interest rates and then it's gone up again and you're being burned and then you go, okay, I'll short that position again or buy the position, I mean, and then it reverses and oh, oh my God, it was, it was head wrecking. Right. Yeah. And what you have to realize, and this is what people don't realize, is that no matter what data you look at, whether it's market data, individual, you know, commodity data, Forex data, is all of the research around this. And this was like Nobel Prize winning research. There's a lot of research out of like MIT on this and Chicago Booth, um, Princeton. There was a great paper that was rewritten by the guy who wrote Random Walk on Wall Street. And basically all the research suggests that there is zero correlation between stock prices on any individual day or any individual month or week, which means the market is practically efficient and random. So it doesn't mean anything that we went through a long period of move up. And that also means that it doesn't mean that it can't continue because every day, every month, every week is totally random, disconnected from the previous you know, session. But that also means that you got to like think broadly about, you know, just market ebbs and flows is that if we have a long period of you know, sustained gains over time, then we're going to have another drawdown. It's not a matter of, you know, if, it's just when is it going to happen? We know it's going to happen. So I think getting in that mindset of just realizing you have no control over market pricing. What you can control is the strategy that you choose, the position size, the psychology that you, you know, wrap around that because you can't control everything else. You can't control black swans. You can't control what happens in Europe. You can't control the Brexit. You can't control a lot of things. There are things you can control and you should be good at those. Well, I find confusing and it's in the theoretical literature and the in the academic literature, really, when it comes to a lot of these studies. You have one school that says that the markets are efficient and random. Another one saying that prices mean revert and hence they're, they're somewhat predictable and technical analysis can be used to identify where the prices are going to be in a certain time period. But you've done a a detailed study on technical analysis. And I'd love to find out or hear in a summary format, one or two points from that, if you could share it with us. Yeah, absolutely. So we did. So yeah, we got this question a lot and it got to the point where like I was getting so many questions that I said, you know, like we're going to do the research, right? So we did 20 years of research. I think it's 1300 different variations of technical analysis and everything from like a simple moving average to a commodity channel index and a moving average convergence, divergence indicator. I mean, all of the big name stuff. And so we back tested 223 different stocks for 20 years and basically trying to figure out what is the answer? Like, does technical analysis work or does it not work? And what we found is that number one, nothing works on a short-term basis. There was no indicator, no variation, no nothing that worked on a short-term basis, meaning you can't day trade anything under any circumstance. And I know there's guys who are good at doing that. And if they're good at doing that, they are absolutely the exception to the rule and it can't continue forever. And what we also found is that less than 5% of technical indicators actually beat the benchmark index, which means 95% of the stuff that's out there is practically garbage, in my opinion, because we've done the data now and we have you know the results to, to prove it. And of that 5% that beat the market, 
it did beat the market pretty well. It wasn't like you, you know, outperformed the market by 80% every year, but you beat the market pretty well and you had a win rate that was about 60%. So it's not like you're doing, you know, exceedingly well than the market by doing this, but you do kind of outperform the market a little bit by using some of the better technical indicators. And what you have to understand is that most of these technical indicators uh, had longer term holding periods too. So it wasn't, again, short term stuff didn't really work. It was the longer term holding periods and the big ebbs and flows that it really caught. And so if you're an investor, then, you know, that's important information to know because then you know that whatever happened last week, you know, is just an, a move that the market made and it could reverse tomorrow. It could continue lower. You just, you really have no idea where it's going to go. Like most of the time you have no idea where the market's going to go at all. So if someone is trading that 5%, that technical analysis that beats the market and they're trading long-term, they're going to end up risking some of that or giving some of that up if they end up buying long-term options because the seller is going to gain from that price exactly. that's moving in the future. So would you stay clear, irrespective of your finding there, would you stay clear of technical analysis? Because that's, you might gain with, you know, with those technical analysis and technical indicators, but you give up a lot. Yeah. So the way that we use them in, in our case, and I, I wrote this in the report when we published it, is that we do not, I mean, we still don't trade the stock. So like that doesn't change anything for us. We did the research because we got a lot of people saying like, what are the indicators I should be looking for? And, and we wanted to find out. When we use it now, and we just did a trade literally yesterday where, where I did use like one of the indicators that showed a buy signal. But the way that I trade is that if I get a buy signal and let's say the stock is at $20, then I will sell an option, let's say at $16 below the market. So now I've got a $4 buffer where if the stock falls by $4, meaning if my technical indicator was wrong and the stock falls by $4, I still have an opportunity to make money. So I don't trade the individual stock, but I will use those as the basis for possibly creating new positions off of it. But the assumption that I still have in everything is that my overall portfolio should be pretty neutral all the time. So even if I am bullish in one, you know, one stock, I might be bearish in another so that I have a neutral and balanced portfolio so that I'm not overly bullish or bearish in any one direction because I, I don't care where the market goes as long as option prices decay in value which we know they will over time and as long as volatility is always overstated which it is over time i just want to be a participant in the market with no directional risk and to make your portfolio neutral would you be delta hedging there and buying and selling options if you that? delta yeah, if you delta hedge with the stock, I wouldn't do that. I think you can easily accomplish that by adding and removing other positions. Okay. Now, there are traders out there that would argue against what you've just said on technical analysis. For example, you might have the turtle traders who might yep. have tweaked what happened back in the 70s and 80s. And you have astrologers probably that look at the patterns of or the location of planets. <laughs> Is this all basically down to discipline? You know, when I think about all that, because I always have people say like, there's always an exception to the rule. And there is, there's always an exception to the rule. But how far do you want to dig to find that exception to the rule? And if you find it, did somebody else already find it and take advantage of it? And like, that's why I try to tell people is most technical analysis doesn't work. The ones that we found that do work, they're not light years ahead of the market. 
You can beat the market for sure. And you can beat the market with a simple option strategy. And you can beat the market if you wanted to trade, you know, stock in the underlying market, but you're not going to like crush the market by 86%, right? So are there people who probably see a move earlier and get lucky? Yes. Do they probably get consistently lucky doing that long, 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 long term with a lots of, with lots of trades? Probably not. And I would say they're the exception to the rule. And it's probably survivorship bias as well. Right flip of a coin 30 people standing up there's always going to be one winner there's always going to be somebody yeah there's always going to be somebody who catches the market bottom who catches the market top but they can't do it consistently and like i always try to tell people like why would you want to do that like if your whole life is like ah i got it i can catch the market bottom i can catch yeah but can you do it consistently why not do something else where you just realize that you have less leverage in the market directionally. You don't know where the market's going to go. That's a much easier way to trade. Like if you went to bed at night and you're like, you know what? I don't care where the market goes. As long as it moves, as long as I can make money, that's a much easier way to trade than saying like, hey, I've got to find that one small little indicator that tells me exactly where the market's going to go tomorrow and hope that it's still right. That's a bad way to trade in my opinion. Kirk, this is also a we – t- we touch on topics in education and here on this podcast as well. We have a lot of academics that come on and they talk about maybe their teaching methods. And, but you're really turning things on its head with your online course. Um, I'd love to know – I think you're way ahead of the, the curve here. And it's something that schools uh, across the world, America and so on, are going to really catch up on. I know they have – MOOCs and other online courses, but for an individual, this may be something to come. So I'd like to know why you got started with Option Alpha as a, not only as a a platform to share your, your trading positions, but also to educate people. Why and how did you go about doing this? Yeah. So it's very, so it's, it's completely self-centered, which is good for me and for everybody else. So I'll say that in, in saying that, right? So I got started because I started originally just publishing like my thoughts and trades on just like a Google blog. Like, I don't know if anybody remembers blogger. There were probably six of us doing it at the time. Right. But I would start saying like, Hey, I'm trading this today or whatever. And this was more than eight years ago. And people started just to say, Hey, like, you know, can you let me know if you're going to trade something in advance? And one thing led to another and they started asking like, well, how do you do this? And how do you do this? And before I knew it, I just started putting out videos because that was the easiest way for me to you know, get my point across. That's why I like doing podcasts. That's why I like doing videos. <clears throat> it's better than writing it out. Writing it out just seems so archaic now because it's such a hard concept to grasp. And so I started putting out videos and <clears throat> originally charged for a little bit for those videos. But then I thought to myself, like, this stuff should all be free. Like, there's no... Now, what I'm saying, what I'm saying here is not proprietary information. It's just know-how, finding the right, you know, information out there and putting it together. And so when we made the shift probably about four years ago to like really put everything out there for free, obviously Option Alpha just has continued to boom since then. It's not like it's been like an overnight success. It's just a steady success. I mean, we've got probably about 120 to 130 people signing up every single day to go through our training which is really cool because it's all free and I guarantee it's better than everyone else's paid stuff out there. Like I know other companies and platforms, they charge thousands of dollars for paid training content. It's totally free and I th- and I know ours is better. And so my whole goal in doing this was one, just to get people educated on what's going on and like what's really happening in the market or not, if they're interested in doing it. And then two, have some ability eventually to generate some cash that we can do stuff like our backtesting report that helps 
solve kind of that mystery. And now we used all of the income that we generated from selling our backtesting report, and we're now funneling all of that into doing options backtesting, which is insanely more expensive. I don't know if you've done it or anybody that's done it, but like buying the data streams and the servers to house all this stuff, it's crazy how much stuff you need just to like run an options backtest. And so now what we're doing is using that capital to run all these options backtests that help solve new questions that people have. And so it's self-serving to me because I have these same questions and I want to see the data for myself. I want to be in control of all that. And it's a way for us to then take what we have you know, generated and give it out to the community. And it's at a nominal cost compared to how much it would be if you try to do it by yourself. Kirk, is there any future plans about putting up a trading platform where people can paper trade? So not a paper trading platform, but I actually did get off a call today with a guy that we're trying to partner up with, and we're going to be building out an options backtesting capability inside of our own platform. So we've already built out some small uh, watch list software that kind of scans for implied volatility and stuff like that. And what we're going to be doing the next iteration of that, probably sometime this year, is to build out a full-fledged options backtesting you know, capability inside of our platform. So I don't ever think that we want to get into the broker business or the trading business, um, but the ability to test, you know, theories and strategies and, uh, you know, really see if they work on real historical data, I think is really cool. And so we're going to be doing that. Yeah, that'd be amazing to work with. Yep. And I, I have to say your your website is amazing. It's really clean. A lot of free content on it. Even the novices, professionals, you know, it's it's for everyone, you know, learning all the basics. And then you have your premium uh, platform as well on which you can sign up and access your live recordings each day. Right. Yep. So that's one of the things that we do that's, you know, totally different. I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's it's definitely a premium thing. And if people want more information, they can go there. But I guarantee I'm the only guy out there still that records exactly what trades I do every single day, good, bad, or indifferent, win, lose, or you know, draw. So every night I get on, I record all my trades. I tell everyone exactly what I did. I show them the trades. I show them the setups. We talk through it, and I publish that video every single night for our pro members and elite members. Great. Kirk, I'd love to ask you who your main influences are, if you have any, regarding the work that you do or how you got into the work that you do. Yeah, so we got into it a long time ago. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that that influence us. I mean, obviously, our members are really good. You know, some of the stuff that other websites are doing out there um, are really, really good. Um, I just think that we're taking it to a different level. I think I think a lot of our stuff is very targeted and focused. It doesn't have all the, you know, extra fluff content and you know, bantering between people on on different shows. I and I think that people appreciate that because I'm. Definitely a, you know, to the point kind of guy. Like I, I want to know exactly what it is and I present it that way on the website. So, I mean, look, I'm constantly influenced by people. Um, most of our influence comes, comes honestly from our community because we get people that say, Hey, it'd be really cool if you had this. And then if enough people vote that up, then that's what we're going to do. And we're going to, you know, continue to evolve that way. I'd love to know some of the resources that you might use when trading or search seeking out trades. If you'd like to share that with us or. Yeah, I mean, I, I think seeking out trades, it's funny, I just did a podcast this morning and, and recorded it for our show about how to find trades. I think finding trades is actually an easy thing. You can use you know anything you want out there. I mean, anything is tradable. You can trade anything at any moment. Um, I mean, there's tons of resources like Finviz and Bloomberg and Tasty Trade and NASDAQ is really good. OCI is really good. Or, or, I'm sorry, OIC is really good. Um, there's tons of blogs out there that, you know, are pretty good, you know, just content with guys just trading. So, I mean, look, I think the space is definitely opening up. I think people realize in the options trading space, you can't pay for education anymore, or at least you shouldn't. 
Um, and I think a lot of great content is starting to come to the surface. So if you search options trading, you'll find some good stuff on it. And Kirk, do you have any recommended books you'd like to share with us? Zero recommended books. I think it's actually a really, I think it's a bad, a bad industry to be in for books because I think a lot of the books are outdated. So I would not recommend a book um, in, in that regard. But I think there's uh, some good books on trading psychology that are out there. Um, and just even books on like, you know, human psychology. I know, like I told you before we started recording, but the guy that you had on about market psychology and, you know, what you don't know, um, I forget what his name is off the top of my head. Uh, just a couple shows ago. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, like one of those books would be really, really good just on, you know, understanding what you don't know. I think that's really, uh, an inhibitor to most people's success is they, they think they have to know exactly how everything works. And if you just accept that, you know, you don't have control or you don't know how some things work, but you can control what you, have control over, then I think you're going to be well on your way. Kirk, is there anything else you'd like to uh, drop in here before we wrap up? I think that's good. I think that's good. If people want to continue the discussion, just add a comment to the show notes page. I'll definitely be checking back on uh, on the website here and just you know seeing if people have comments or questions. Kirk, thank you so much for being so inspiring and for joining me on Economic Rockstar. I had a blast and I personally learned a lot from you. Share again with our listeners where they can find you. You can find me at optionalpha.com or on all the social media websites at optionalpha. You can find all the links to Kirk on economicrockstar.com forward slash Kirk. Kirk, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. You are an economic rockstar. Thanks, Frank. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not leave some feedback or comments on the show notes page on economicrockstar.com where you can also sign up and be a member of the Economic Rockstar community. If you're listening to this episode on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, I would love to have some feedback and for you to leave an honest rating and review, as this will help with the rankings of the show so that more people can find it. If you're listening on the website economicrockstar.com, make sure you check out the back catalogue of all previous episodes and interviews with some amazing professors and authors at economicrockstar.com forward slash podcasts. Thanks for listening and I really appreciate your loyal support. I know how much you love audio, so why not get a free audiobook with Economic Rockstar today? I've teamed up with audiobooks.com to bring you this amazing offer. Visit audiobooks.com forward slash rockstar to download your free audiobook now.